Welcome to the Daily Canon Podcast. Hello again, listeners. Welcome to another Daily Canon Weekly Podcast. Uh, joining me for this week is Paul Williams to discuss what has been a really eventful uh, week since we spoke to you last. Because we spoke to you last before the game at Stamford Bridge. So no doubt we'll be uh, touching on that one, funnily enough. Uh, and obviously uh, we're now coming to you slightly later than normal because we wanted to make sure we included the FA Cup tie against Bournemouth. Uh, before we get on to the details of how Arsenal done this week, how are you this week, Paul? Yeah, I'm not too bad, mate. I'm not too bad. What are you teaching? I'm intrigued. Uh, apparently, I am an acting teacher, although uh, I don't always feel like I entirely earn the epitaph, but (laughs) but I'm uh, I'm there anyway, so uh, yeah. That's, that's one thing I'll be doing. And then I've got lots oh. of tedious meetings this evening, which hopefully will be useful. But anyway, I'm sure no one listening gives a shit about my evening. Um, <laughs> so, uh, someone well, someone will, maybe. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't think my mum listens, so uh, maybe not. Um, yeah, so obviously you and I, as two people who originated on the west half of London, uh, <laughs> games against Chelsea are always, uh, always a little more interesting. Um, <laughs> obviously we could potentially talk about it for about three years uh, so without wishing to just repeat what other people have said what was your experience of the game? Um, I think the first 25 minutes basically up until Chelsea scored um, was a little bit terrifying because it's like if it carries on like this we could end up getting hammered Um and for whatever reason, after the, the sending off, which I totally agreed with, by the way, I know there are different views even with a, in our own parish on that score. I, I, I don't think you can push someone over at the penalty area and then claim you were trying to play the ball. Um, Chelsea took their foot off the gas totally. I think probably in a reflection of Arsenal teams past where Chelsea have only had to turn up to beat us. <laughs> um probably thought the game was won and then I think the Martelli goal is something that will live long in the memory for everyone that that witnessed it live and even watching it on the telly um, or in my case on my laptop in the bedroom because I've got BT Sports login although I don't have BT Sports so um, I ended up screaming my head off from the bedroom Hmm. and then Joe was like oh what's happened what's happened and came and had a lecture up bloody hell um, so that's Martinelli announcing himself on the world stage. Uh, so it's from Barcelona and Real Madrid in the uh, not too distant future, I would imagine. Um, and then the, the second half, really, I, I think I was really proud of them. And I think to the point where when Chelsea got that goal, which again, I, I saw Phil Tammy Abraham was interfering with play a little bit. I, I I can accept the goal being allowed, but I think it was dodgy. Um, when that goal went in, you're like, oh, well, we've played really well. We're not going to get anything. As Lee Dixon talking about um, the end of the 89 season. Oh, you've done really well, but you've come on short. Well done, you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then Hector Bellerin, who, you know, sort of defies logic, having not played for a year before because of the injury and then things have, haven't gone right for him since he's come back. His first start is away at Chelsea. We have 10 men. The guy's been gasping for air for the last 25 minutes. 
tucked in onto his left foot and does what fullbacks do at Stamford Bridge, which is... <laughs> so I, what it made me think of, really, to, to boil it down, was that well-known phrase about refusing to lose. Mm. And to watch Arsenal play the way they did, and Mikel Arteta, I think, was really brave to leave Martinelli on, in the, not just because Martinelli went on to school, but it would have been an easy thing to do to bring on a centre-back and just sort of accept that you're going to try not to get battered. Um, yeah, just really proud to be an Arsenal fan that night. And, OK, we didn't win the game, but there was something about the way we refused to lose that I think augurs really well for the future. Yes, it certainly shows a, a strong contrast with some of the meek surrenders we've seen in recent years. I mean, not that this, you know, we tend to forget, I suppose, that there have been uh, battling draws and victories with bravery in recent years. But this felt somehow larger, partly because Stamford Bridge has been such a traumatic place to us to visit, except for once once every few years. Um, but also, you know, the down to 10 men, the fact that this is a team that you know, lest we forget, is still mid-table on its worst, having its worst season since the mid-90s. Um, and um, so we're all looking for green shoots of recovery. We've been given a lot of encouragement, and then this was very much a, 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 a cementing of that sense of encouragement. Um, I mean, the, you know, there was quite a, things to, a few things to unpack out of what you were talking about there. For instance... Um, you, you, the the sending off for uh, David Luiz. Um, it's one of those ones. I have to admit, I lost my rag a little bit on Twitter after it happened, uh, as, as is my <laughs> want. Uh, uh, upon having seen a particular slow mo from a particular angle, I was like, okay, that was less of an attempt to play the ball than it looked like from the other angle. So I can I can I can accept that uh, as as. Um, as, as has been said elsewhere, it was a little bit unlucky, Louis, because he was trying to sort of only foul him a bit. <laughs> mm. uh, but uh, Tammy Abraham, at the best of times, is a little bit like a Bambi on roller skates. Um, so he doesn't take too much to knock him off balance. Um, uh, he might have gotten away with that against a, a slightly more robust centre forward. But also, I guess the reason I lost my rag is, you know, there's so much... Vagary in the way that laws are interpreted in the foot in in football, and obviously we've all heard about the double jeopardy thing. Um, and it was a case of does this fit, does this not? And there's arguments to be made either way. Um, and so I'm not going to say it was horrendously wrong from the referee. What I will say is, when was the last time you recall an opposition player against Arsenal getting sent off in those circumstances? Well, we don't even get penalties anymore, mate. So well, um... that's true. <laughs> it's true. I mean, we never. But, um, we, I, I, I believe someone was sent off um, in the full of Manchester. I haven't seen the tackle, so I don't want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too much detail of it, but yeah. The same sort of thing. They've gone gone through someone, not made an attempt to play the ball, and the penalty is given on the red card as well. So. Yeah, I mean that one was rather more obvious, shall we say? But well, it was. Okay. I mean, at the end of the day, as it always is with refereeing, like we don't care what. The decision is as long as it's vaguely consistent and again the usual thing no consistency uh we don't have much luck with that ref anyway apparently he's now passed mike dean as the referee we have the worst results with him in charge uh and he's 
bowls us up a few times this season. Um, on the Daily Canon site, someone did an interesting uh, article about which refs get Arsenal games and which don't. Uh, and mm. certain people seem to get about seven or eight times more Arsenal games than others. Uh, and they're often they're the ones that don't do us any favours historically. Yeah, it's, it's quite funny, actually, because I, I, I did have a little look at that, and it struck me that I, I can't remember the last time I saw Michael Oliver referee an Arsenal game, and that isn't to say he hasn't done one recently. It might just be that I've missed it when it's happened. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, there's, there's a, we've almost got our own harem of referees there, haven't we? <laughs> I know. I mean, uh, whether it, whether it's actually refereeing the game or on VAR, we certainly see a lot of Martin Atkinson. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I mean, that being as it was, it wasn't a decision which anyone could argue was totally 100% wrong in the cold light of day. Um, and therefore, you have to take your lumps. Uh, Mustafi started the game very nervously and was giving the ball away a bit and obviously that was a continuation of that uh, but as uh, I, I think as someone said elsewhere once once that happened we went the goal down and Louise got sent off um, Mustafi then sort of suddenly found his composure whether it's a sense of determination or whether it's like okay I've got my fuck up out the way now so I can now, I can now go back to doing what I usually do which is which is playing really well apart from the fuck up it was quite interesting I had the uh, look in his eyes when the, the uh, junior was getting ready to take the penalty and they were focusing on Scott Chambers staffing space but I think you know you and I have spoken in the past about the uh, temperamental difficulties of having Socrates and Louise together mm. and I think Mustafi is even probably more extreme than Socrates so maybe it helped in a way I have to say you know, like, the knives have been out for Granite Jacker but what a performance at that um, I thought he was magnificent yeah yeah I mean uh, there, I think there was only one sort of missed offside trap quite late on but basically yeah someone described it as Beresi-esque which I quite enjoyed uh, yeah but yeah I mean obviously you know Arteta was brave not to make the substitution but equally the team helped him make that decision by after you know they rocked obviously for a few minutes after the after the penalty trying to re rework things out but then relatively quickly they settled down into a pretty solid low block counter attack game uh, with, with, I mean, Jacka looking remarkably comfortable in a position that he's not ever played it before. Um, and as we say, Mustafi's concentration levels suddenly went through to kind of something that we would wish he could be more like all the time. Um, and, and I think, in a way, yeah, Chelsea took their foot off the gas, but I think also it sort of simplified the task for us a bit in that it was like, right, okay, we're going to be sitting deep, uh, trying to win the ball on the edge of the midfield, uh, you know, deep end, end of the midfield, and then try and spring our runners. Um, and obviously another person who deserves a lot of credit, despite the fact that he, he didn't get any reward for it, is Lacazette, who is that kind of deep-dropping pivot, um, that sort of <laughs> weird Firmino type he suddenly seems to have been transformed into, willingly or otherwise. Um he, he put in a real Trojan effort there, or uh, perhaps a Spartan effort would be more accurate historically. But yeah, sort of very, um, I mean, 
the fact he he could walk after about half time was quite remarkable. Just the sheer amount of ground he was covering. It was quite. Um, I didn't notice it until after the game, but there was an angle of the Martinelli goal which showed Lacazette bursting into a sprint around the halfway line, and then almost within in the second of him beginning the sprint, he was like. Oh, I'm not getting there. He just like, no, <laughs> yeah. I'll never catch him. Let him go. Let him go. Yeah. Um, so obviously we make it to half time we're 1-0 down um, we've come back into the game and we've started to actually get some possession what were you thinking at half time about A what we should do and your fears for the second half well I think the fears for the second half were obviously just that Chelsea would um, you know Lampard talked about it after the game about regrouping at half time going again um that didn't really happen. Um, it's a bit difficult to try and remember exactly what I was thinking. A week ago, but, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, my main hope was, you know, as, as well as we adjusted to the sending up, we're away at Stamford Bridge, we're 1-0 down. You just want, you know, the 6-0 of a few years ago is only a few years ago. So please just not, you know, I can take us losing, but... Please not hammering. Yeah. Um, obviously, the Arsenal boys had something else in mind. Well, it was that weird thing. Though. I mean, sort of the, when when we got to half time, obviously we were very conscious of the fact that Chelsea were going to come again, and it was just sort of wondering, wondering if we could just stay in the game because um, because yeah. Chelsea's defence it, it is almost as bad as ours, their defensive record this season, and they haven't had anything like the injuries we've had. Um, so I knew that there was a vulnerability there, and I've always, and just as we showed in the, in the first game at the, at the Emirates, where, they, where the referee handed them a fluky fucking victory, um, every time we could get at their defence, they looked, they looked frightened in that game, and, and, and the same sort of... Uh, applied in this occasion obviously our chances to get at their defence are going to be much less um, and then of course uh, a, a headed assist for Mustafi <laughs> and a, a wonder goal from the wonder boy I mean it's that strange thing isn't it you know he, the amount of distance and the, and the pressure he's under makes it a fantastic goal but you actually think of it and he thinks well he beats someone to the ball initially and he managed to get his body position right so the last guy can't tackle him but the only thing he does other than that is slightly weave around Kante's outstretched arm after it, yeah. after Kante falls over and tries to rugby tackle him but can't reach him because he's too small. Um, so it, it reminded me a little bit of shades of Theo Walcott at Anfield <laughs> when he set up Adebayor. Any yeah. difference is, is Theo actually beat more players in that run. <laughs> I just think that might be the best thing Theo Walcott ever did in an Arsenal shirt. Um, I don't know. A goal in the mean, cup guess, final always goes down nicely. <laughs> I mean, I guess in a way, it's um, if anything, it maybe was a bit more like Thierry Henry at home to Spurs because the distance travelled was reasonably similar. But also, uh, Thierry's goal, he didn't actually have to beat that many Spurs players for the distance he ran. Mm, mm. Um, as a Chelsea fan said to me, <laughs> I was winding him up after the game. He's like, it was a shit first touch. If Kante hadn't fallen over, he'd never have been in. I said, all of that is true, Dad. But he did fall over. Um, 
And ironically, it was a shit first touch that made Kante fall over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, oh, just what a moment! I, yeah, even now I'm warm clothes talking about it. Yeah, it's one of those things that because it was sort of so dramatic and because it was such a sort of release of pressure and, and also how many times do you see players kind of make those kind of runs and then just not finish? I'll tell you what, as he ran through, I never had any doubt he was going to score. Not for one second did I even think, oh, he's going to miss this. There was just something about it. There was no doubt in my mind that, that was, and it made it look easy as well. I mean, it did help that he's up against Kepa, who, who uh, is officially, statistically, the worst goalkeeper in the Premier League, who basically doesn't really save shots. Which <laughs> is, <laughs> <laughs> he's letting almost half the shots. Kepa uh, made it slightly easy for Martinelli, but I think Martinelli slightly gave him the eyes. But yeah, yeah. there was a point when he was running through when I was thinking, square it to Pepe, square it to Pepe. But then actually, the position he got into, it just made sense for him to go. And as, as you say, he's got that level of self-belief that makes you feel more relaxed <laughs> as a fan. Yeah, the finish actually reminded me of Anelka. I think in particular... There was a game against Blackburn many years ago where he just went yeah. through. He, he sold the keeper with a step over, but yeah. just a sort of just the ability to do something and make it look simple at base. Yeah. Um, yeah, just magnificent. Well, I remember that Blackburn game very well because it was on. Easter weekend, I think it was. I think it may have been Easter Sunday, and I was watching it in a pub in Shepherd's Bush with uh, one of my best mates, who's also an Arsenal fan, just back in London because I was staying away from London at the time. And it was snowing in London. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, and we, and it was a great. It was two from Anelka, two from Ray Parlour, was it, or was it? Two from Parlo, Anelka, and Burkamp. Anyway, Sounds like him, that's yeah. right, yes. Anyway, show me age. Um, but <laughs> yeah, as, as you say, he 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 has a sort of confidence and composure to the way he carries himself and a self belief that uh, makes us as fans feel more confident. There's so many players we could think of in recent history that we would not have fancied to have that opportunity, despite other skill sets. I mean, you know. Juvenio was a brilliant at beating a man, but you wouldn't fancy him in that situation. Simple as. No. Um, so we get back to one all. Uh, obviously, euphoria, celebrations of the Arsenal fans, lots of clenched fists, uh, with the fun moment of Martinelli uh, being instructed on what celebration to do by a man in the crowd. Which is yeah, great, wasn't it? Properly iconic. Yeah, making its way around social media. And again, it's all about, as Arteta has been talking about, that reconnection with the fans, which is one of the big things we're seeing at the moment. Um, and then it's more sort of back to the wall with counter-attacking. Um, we basically look really comfortable right up to the moment that Chelsea score. <laughs> and, and there's two things about the goal, the Chelsea sort of goal, which I sort of stick in my mind. One is the fact that it comes as a result of a corner one where Rob Holding's desperately trying not to injure Tammy Abraham by trying to support Abraham, but actually Abraham gets injured anyway. And then, as yeah. you say, the corner comes in, Abraham's wandering on the pitch. There seems to be no kind of... Like, the rules weren't actually followed in that in that situation. So, technically, you could disallow the goal, but it would be such a fucking technicality that not even VAR would go for. Um, it was just a moment of... Um, slightly falling asleep, really, defensively, wasn't it? I mean, there's yeah. a short corner. Uh, Lacazette tried to go for it with one body part, realised he couldn't, and then couldn't reach it with the other body part, which completely fooled 
Rob Holding who'd come on by that point and uh, Aspilicueta reacted quickest and then celebrated like a wanker but he's a bit of a dirty fucker Aspilicueta but he's a very very good player but the reason why that stuck in my mind the build up to that is is the irony of Abraham getting injured by Holding trying to stop him going into the boards whereas uh, was it was it Aspilicueta or Christensen that basically tried to maim Martinelli on the halfway line early in the yeah. half? Just by body checking him straight, shouldering him right in the chest, straight off the pitch into the advertising hoardings. Referee doesn't. See, even... I thought that, that, that to me was a nailed on yellow card and uh, nothing. Yeah, well, it, it wasn't even given as a free kick and, like, definitely a nailed on yellow. You could, by the letter of the law, make an argument for be a red because it's fundamentally dangerous play. He's not going for the ball, blah, 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 blah. The kind of thing that Granite Jacker gets sent off for. <laughs> um, but once again, we see a match official completely ignoring something. And we all remember what happened to Matthew Debushi. So I was kind of like... But thankfully, Martinelli seems to be made out of bouncy, springy stuff. Um, and was <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah not like us um, and was relatively unperturbed uh, but uh, obviously yeah Abraham was injured and, and is uh, going to be out for Chelsea for a little while from a far less in far less uh, impactful incident shall we say so yeah Chelsea score heart sinks I, I I don't know if it was just me or whether it was both of us or who tweeted about with about 20 minutes left going this is going to really hurt when Chelsea get a last minute equal. oh yeah no, that was me yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely me maybe you as well um, it just felt like one of those games it was going to be that you know that glorious brave bit like England England football in the ni- in around 1990 it had that kind of feel <laughs> about it you know brave defence against the odds only to fall at the final hurdle um, and but we just decided not to do that and, the, and one of the things that was particularly pleasing about it was the fact that it partly stemmed from the same Abraham injury which led to Chelsea's goal um, you know Abraham went down we continued playing uh, Chelsea decided for whatever reason not to put the ball out after they won it back and started fanning around amongst themselves and then uh, Abraham managed to get up, get back, just in time to not be able to stop Hector Bellerin cutting inside <laughs> him and curling it into the far corner. Uh, a goal which uh, clearly surprised the, uh, well, the Chelsea goalkeeper, who is clearly not at the standard, standard of Thibaut Courtois or Petr Cech. Um, yeah. And then cue Bedlam for most people, but I really enjoyed... Hector Bellerin's moment in his own. Did you did you see that? I don't know if I did actually. So the, the, you know the 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 rest of the players all running together, hugging, running to the crowd. Bellerin hung back for a bit, and and sort of made an a hands to the sky kind of praise God type gesture. Not that I think he's necessarily as super religious as some of the other players, but uh, knowing that it's almost exactly a year to the day that he'd got injured against Chelsea in a game where he was absolutely flying. I mean that must have. That must have meant the world to him, um, as of course it, it did for us. Um, yeah. Oh, there was all kinds of poetry in that moment, wasn't there? I think it was, um, I've just remembered this, I thought it was quite funny that really the evening started with Chelsea fans serenading David Louise with he's one of our own. Mm. And the night finishes with the Hector Bellerin's name being boomed out from the way end. And that was all you could hear was was that charm. Um, 
yeah, just a great moment for him and delighted to have him back. Yeah, and, you know, as you say, he was puffing a bit earlier in the game, but as players often do returning from injury, he seemed to get a little stronger as the game went on. And that goal was definitely a sort of triumph of will. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, he's got some previous with left foot shots against Chelsea for equalisers. So we know we know that although he doesn't crack that one out very often, and and, and it was enjoyable to see him having a little joke with Granite Jacker in the post match interview about that as well about his his left foot having improved us since the operation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, nice to see Granite Jacker smiling in that interview as well. Yeah, exactly, and and it came sort of off the back of you know not many people noticed, but for the last few minutes of the game against Crystal Palace, he'd he'd been captain um, when all other people had potential for the role had gone off or been sent off. Uh, but took it off when going, took the armband off when going yeah. to speak to the fans. Um, and as I mean, I think I said this maybe even on last week's podcast, it's amazing how quickly people can be reintegrated. You know, there was the idea that the, the Xhaka situation was terminal and it certainly looked terminal because it looked like he wanted out ASAP. But football fans are A, fickle, <laughs> uh, B, uh, just don't need a great deal to be mollified uh, and and see are predisposed to want to love the players that play for their team so you know players do lose the fans but those with strong character and a capacity to refine their form can always get them back relatively quickly and although Jacques is not you know, doesn't have the totality of the fan base on side, and probably never will, because he's a he's a player with flaws to his game. It's pretty clear across the board now that the respect is back there from the fans um, after a pretty short period of time in the in the grand scheme of things. I mean, where where are you on the Granite Xhaka scenario? I think if he continues to play, I think one of the things you've said. Um, for the last few weeks is actually now there's a coach at the club that maybe understands how to get the best out of Shaka. And if he continues to keep putting in the performances that he has been, um, I don't have an issue with him staying at the club if that's what he decides he wants to do and Arsenal decides they want to keep him because he's actually a, a good asset. Yeah. Um, if you in the right way, and then we and we sort of saw last night. I'm not wanting to come prepared too far, but there was a moment in the commentary where Stephen Manaman was talking about how high Bukayo Saka was playing for the fullback, mm. completely neglecting to mention the fact that Granite Xhaka was actually filling him on the left side of the centre backs for him, which was enabling Saka to do that. It's amazing how many of co-commentators seem to be unable to spot that one when all the rest of us can spot it after about five minutes but anyway yeah, <laughs> um, yeah and it, it's sort of interesting because when he first joined Arsenal Granite Xhaka I said the, the very best we can hope for is that he becomes a little bit of a uh, slightly less mobile Emmanuel Petit because there's, there are obviously similarities in the game now obviously he doesn't have the same uh, defensive concentration levels as uh, as as Petit did. I mean, we got the, the absolute peak of Petit's career. I mean, you know, those two first two seasons with us, where he, he was so good. I mean, he was one of the best midfielders in the world in, in the '99 season. Um, 
but there are commonalities to their game. But what I found quite interesting is, as Petit had played most of his career at left back and a bit at centre back, and then became a midfielder. <laughs> Xhaka is a midfielder who's started a bit further forward, has moved back into midfield, and is now sort of doing moonlighting as a <laughs> as a sort of left back and, and an occasional centre back in a crisis. Yeah. Um, and, and doing so with great effectiveness. And I think also, quite apart from his own performances, I mean, obviously the, his performance against Chelsea goes a long way, but I think fans have warmed to the fact that he is clearly doing a job to assist the effectiveness of other players around him, particularly young players, and that's always going to be popular with fans. I mean, you know, would Bukayo Saka be able to play the role that he's, he has been without a midfielder who's able to cover in the same way that Gwena Xhaka is. And I would suggest, despite the fact that Saka is not a mug defensively, the answer would be no. Yeah. Um, and it also allows, you know, uh, it, it, it allows the, the fixing of the conundrum that um, Unai Emery never got his head around, which is how do you, how do you make your uh, defensive line function when you've got your left-sided full-backs I mean, bomb Monreal. I'm all more comfortable at wing back, and your right-sided fullbacks are more comfortable as right backs. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so, so you can avoid doing the sort of back five, back three. What is it going to be? Scenario. Um, and then, obviously, yeah, we get the equaliser, and there aren't any great shocks uh, after that um, from from Chelsea and. Uh, the serenading goes long into the night. Um, I don't know about you, but for me, like, I couldn't sleep after that game. Like, I was buzzing. And, I like, buzzing in a way that I haven't really been... Like, because the win against Man U... I mean, Man U was shit. I mean, we were really good. But Man... This, you know, Man U uh, away from home are a bit pony at the best of times unless they're playing against cannon fodder. Um, whereas this was a, you know... A really hard-fought victory in, against adversity against a team that the, the table says is better than us. Um, yeah, I, I haven't been feeling that. I've, basically, I feel like I've been ill all year. I mean, all year is only twenty-eight days, <laughs> but it's, it's long enough. Um, so I'd arranged to work from home on the Wednesday anyway. Um, so I had a little bit more leeway in terms of my get-up time on Wednesday morning. So basically. Joe went to bed, I took the laptop into the living room and just sat and watched. I watched all of the post-match, actually, which I never normally do. Yeah, me too. I had, <laughs> had a little game of snooker on my PS4 um, until such time as I felt ready to ready to go. So I, I wasn't quite at the no-sleep all night, but it was definitely, yeah, that, great, great to be. But it's quite funny, I saw my uncle on them. Um, Saturday for my nan's birthday, and he um, he said he's finally taken my advice and stopped watching Arsenal because it was making him so miserable. <laughs> I was like, you didn't watch it on Tuesday. We were really good, and he was like, oh yeah, it was on in the background. And I was like, Stevie, no. we as, as I said on Tuesday night, that that match. If we're not back, we are definitely on the way back, and you know. But this definitely been an upward trajectory since Arteta took over. The performances have been better and better. All that's been missing is a few. We've been very unlucky in in some places, referee decisions. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but, you know, the performances are there for everyone to see. And if we keep playing like this, we're going to win more games than we lose. There's no question. Yeah, and, and part of the reason it, it was such a emotional game to watch, quite, you know, apart from the, the we all love to see our team fight and have that sense of pride, which is exactly what I felt. But <clears throat> it was also that... Um, you know, under Unai Emery, things got so soporific towards the end. I mean, it, the last season under Wenger was kind of slightly... Uh, and or the last season and a half, really. And, and then under Unai Emery, it just got to the point where watching Arsenal was something you did because you're an Arsenal fan and you feel you kind of got to. Uh, and particularly when you're recording a podcast every week. <laughs> but uh, yeah. there, there were definitely times when I couldn't watch games for work because I was working, and I was quite happy about that, to be perfectly honest. Um, whereas now, at least, you know, we feel the team feels like something we recognise again. Obviously, it's still early days, you know. We don't want to anoint, anoint Arteta as a god in the way that Man United did with Oli Sunshine when he first rocked up. Um, but it seems that what, what little success we're having is based slightly more on fundamentals than, um, than just sort of uh, taking chances, as was the case for United. Although, I have to say, in, Chelsea, in the Chelsea game, we got a two-all draw, having had two shots on target. <laughs> yeah, another, another Chelsea fan I play football with said to me, that's the first time that's happened since 2006, for fuck's sake. Cry me a river, mate. How many games did Chelsea win against us when they'd had, like, two shots on target? Yeah, and how many games of what did we have in the Wenger era at, at home where we'd have, like, 30 shots and the opposition would have one and it'd be a one-all draw? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, you, you mentioned refereeing. I, I know I bang on about it, but uh, they've updated that that thing about refereeing errors costing points. Apparently, Arsenal would be above Chelsea if referees were competent. <laughs> would be in fourth place. <laughs> but anyway, um, thankfully, in the second game of the week, there was no impact from refereeing in a meaningful sense. Oh, Mike Dean tried, didn't he? He really tried. <laughs> There's an offside in there somewhere. I'm sure I'll find it if I look hard enough. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that was that was uh, quite amusing. Um, particularly as you could see the like the, the graphic going up and down and you're like going, unless the only way you can give that offside is if you fundamentally don't understand the concept of perspective. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so they, they took their sweet time over it and it was like... I was like, well, anyway. But, there was um, a brilliant bit on the, uh, sorry, just on the BBC live text where they said goal and they described the goal. And then it's the next bit was VAR check. And then the comment simply was, why? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, as I said on the, on the podcast last week, you know, I had great hopes for VAR, but that's before I realised it was going to be operated and decisions made by the same fuckers at fuckers over every week anyway. You know, I mean, I don't... Where well, we are, isn't it, pretty much? I mean, I don't, I don't know if... Uh, I don't know if I actually think that the, the, the Premier League match officials group is, uh, is institutionally biased, despite the fact that it's run by Mike Riley. But there's certainly, you know, we all know that as individuals that we will have unconscious bias and some of the referees clearly have an unconscious bias against Arsenal and unfortunately they seem to get a lot of the VAR gigs. But, but, it, but they, they couldn't stitch us last night um, and as was the case against Chelsea, the, the kids did all right. 
Um, yeah. I, I mean, I know, I know that your time is more limited than mine, Paul. So take the floor. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I saw the team about fifteen minutes before the game started, and um, oh, when Ketia Stein up top, that's interesting. I don't know why I'm surprised by that. Lacazette's got through a bit of work recently. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Willock in the hole. Um, yeah, I'm slightly surprised by that, but bearing in mind we've done beyond the first couple of games of Arteta seems to have got much out of those. I think trying something else there is probably not a bad idea. Um, and then they just started brilliantly. I mean, and crucially got the second goal, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but both of them, beautiful goals. Um, I know they were, they were both 20 plus pass moves, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, I just, I mean, the, the thing that I really loved about the first goal was how Willock's turn away from the guy that was marking him, he just leaves him in dust. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then watching that and just thinking, you're waiting too long, you're waiting too long, why are you waiting so long? And then he slips in Martinelli, Martinelli says, here you go, Bukayo, finish it, which he did. Um, with, 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 which is interesting because that's a finish actually that, like it's an amazing finish, but it's a finish that anyone who's seen the youth groups has seen Saka do a bit, actually. Right. It's like that kind of thunderbolt from off the laces into the top, into the near corner, a bit like Lacazette's got a bit of a history of that. When he, you know, Saka's got history of that. It's not it, like most players when they do that, you think, oh, he's just twatted it as hard as he can. <laughs> but he, you know, he does it with the regularity that makes you think, okay, this is actually a thing here. Um, yeah. It was one of those ones. It was almost in before you realised he'd hit it. He's got a just beautiful strike. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, and, um, and as you say, crucially, we didn't have to wait too long for the next goal. Yeah, uh, that, to me, that goal is like that is the football that Arsenal fans want to see from the team, isn't it? Mm. Um, <laughs> Martinelli's run to take the defenders out of the way, he leaves all that space for Enketia and yeah, he finished it nicely. I mean, I know there was a lot of the goal to aim at, but you've still got to put it away. Um, and that must, you know, having been at Leeds and not, uh, the, the loan started well for him and then he sort of stopped being used so much and I think like, he did score in his last eight games for Leeds or something I'm not sure exactly what the stat is yeah yeah I mean he only started two but yeah um, so to go to Leeds and not be used um, and then come back and within, within weeks you're scoring for, for the first team is um, I mean, well what what can you say? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, as he said in his post-match interview, for him it's a dream to play for Arsenal. I mean, despite the fact that he started out as a youth player at Chelsea, he grew up, he's always, he grew up as an Arsenal fan and his whole family are Arsenal fans, so, you know, it means a lot to him. Um, and it's typical Eddie Nketiah, really, which is just being in the right place at the right time, bit of clever movement. Um you know, he started or he was involved earlier in that move and, and so it was, you know, a good build-up and, and then move, continuing movement after the build-up for him. Um, although it was quite funny, I did see the stat that sort of the first goal had an XG of, like, virtually nothing <laughs> and then our second goal had an XG of one. <laughs> um, and again, like, Saka, heavily involved, beautiful ball in, um, 
So that's like three games this season he's scored and assisted. Um, yeah, which is uh, more than any Arsenal player and um, more than any Arsenal players in a while, actually, um, in, a, in a particular in a single season. It's really weird. I like there's a lot to like about a lot of <laughs> I tweeted during the game saying isn't it weird two months ago we hated all of these players and now I look and I can see 11 tyros in yellow um, I'm excited by a lot of the youngsters but there's something about Saka that I just I'm really excited by this kid yeah I mean again uh, regular listeners will know that I'm sort of I don't get to see them live, but I do watch a lot of the a lot of the footage and keep abreast of the under 18s and under 23s. And he's just one of those guys. He sort of turned up at the under 18s at the age of like 15, and you're like, yeah, okay, he's got something. And then the, the, it's interesting because for him the progression's been rapid but quite linear. Um, yeah. You know, most players plateau and and spike more, uh, but he's just continued to get a bit better at all the things he's good at. Um, bit stronger, little tiny bit quicker, slightly more consistent crossing, slightly better finishing, but he's always just had an end product at every level I've seen him at. You know, he's one of those people that he's got quite a simple game, but he knows his game really well, which I think a lot of young players struggle with. I mean, he's got that thing like he, he he's not he's not going to beat six players in an intricate dribble, or he's not going to get involved in too many sort of tick attacker because all Wilshire pass, passing moves, but he he makes really good runs. His crossing is invariably very good, and he and he's a good finisher. Um, great, <laughs> uh, and it, and that's the thing is like him and Martinelli are, st- are still only eighteen, and will be eighteen for the rest of the season as well. Um, which is what makes it all so impressive that they, you know, they they're, they're taking to first team football at a club under pressure in difficult games so comfortably it's kind of it's extraordinary really Um, as you say you know uh, we have got a very exciting crop of young players I mean apart from obviously Saka who who else really stood out for you from last night's game Uh, well uh, Willock I think was excellent in the first half particularly but the the player that really stood out for me was Gendouzi I thought he was magnificent last night just a ball magnet and his use of the ball and the way he created space um, you know he's had games this season where he's he's not always looked um, he gets embroiled in stuff and I think sometimes maybe that takes away from his game a little Um, but Last night, it was um, but the more people would try to wind him up, the better he got almost. Um, he's going to be, yeah, he's was, gonna be the youngest some... player to be booed at every away ground, isn't he? <laughs> it was quite funny how the Bournemouth fans were sitting saying, Old Arsenal always cheating after Mustafi went over, and then he gets stretched off. And it, oh, maybe he wasn't actually, uh, yeah, well, um, but yeah, Gendouzi was just superb and I hesitate to use the name of the French midfielder that it reminded me of <laughs> last night um, more of that please absolutely I mean as um, James McNicholas aka Gunnerblog said on his uh, YouTube channel you know he looks like Gendouzi's being coached uh, you know I mean he was inspirational for a lot of periods of times under Unai Emery but was a bit sort of 
whirly gig of here, there, and everywhere. Where and in the first few games under Arteta, Gendouzi looked a little bit unsure about what to do. But last night was the first time he he seemed really clear about what his job was. Yeah, and also I think when he came on against Chelsea um, last week, yeah, that's true. He made a really positive difference to the team there as well. That's so, true. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I'm trying to think who else really. Um, it was just a really good team performance. Uh, to the point where Bournemouth scored that goal, and you're just like, that's so undeserved. I mean, I know they put us under pressure in the second half, and we weren't finding it as easy as we had. <laughs> they did not deserve to be within a goal of us last night. I mean, I actually thought one of the weaker performers last night was Pepe, um, who who I think has actually been very good in recent games. Um, but I thought he was just making the wrong decisions quite a lot last night um, and playing a bit too individualistically at times. Mm. It, was that, it was that weird thing where I think he's got so used to having no help on that flank, being totally isolated as for the first half of the season, that he actually had Nketiah and Willock in quite close proximity with him and Bellerin last night, and he seemed to not quite know what to do. Oh, God, I've got teammates I can play with. I don't, well, how does that work? Um, but I think, it, you know, he's obviously going to be learning to adjust to the, what Arteta wants him to do. Um, I mean, despite last night, I think that, you know, we can all see there's a player there just waiting to explode. He's kind of such a, such a nearly player on so often occasions. Um, so I, I don't think there's anything to be worrying about there. And obviously because he wasn't, he was a bit in and out of the team, he should be pretty fit and able to continue, which is just as well as Reese Nelson's injured. And so we've got bugger all choices there. And speaking of injuries, uh, obviously we lost another one last night. Um, the curse of Mustafi, the poor bastard's finally having a game where he looks <laughs> totally in control. His passing range last night was brilliant, like the best I've seen yeah, him. It was, yeah. yeah, the best I've seen him on the ball in weeks or months, um, um, maybe even years. Uh, and just totally mistake-free, was looking like the person who was like really solidifying the team, uh, looked calm and confident, and then gets a freak injury that's going to see him out for some time by the looks of it. Yeah, there's not much you can say about it, really. Uh, <laughs> it seems to be typical of the way the guy's career has gone since he came to North London. Um, I hope, obviously, just hope it's not too too bad. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we haven't heard any more news yet. Obviously, Arteta spoke with concern after the game about it. Um, but... Uh, yeah, it seems likely that he's going to be out for a while, which is a shame because he's a player that, despite, you know, we, we all know he's got a massive cock-up in him, but we also know that he's a player that, in the past, when he has played with real confidence, is a very good defender. And you you want to give him a chance under a coach who actually is is coaching his players to be better, which we do, we haven't really seen uh, for the last yeah. couple of years of Wenger or, or the or the Union Emery era, uh, beyond some of the younger players. Um but I guess uh, it is what it is, and it means more than ever we need another centre half. Although we already needed one anyway, and we're going to be seeing a bit more of Rob Holding uh, uh, in, in in coming weeks. I, I don't know about you. I thought Rob Holding was a bit at fault at Bournemouth's late goal. What did you make of it? Um. It, yeah, I, I think I saw your tweet. You said something like 
uh, Mustafi would have been awake and Holding was asleep. Well, I, I said he. I said he. I said he might have been awake because some, yeah. some 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 person on on Twitter who will not be um, was was sort of suggesting it was a good thing that Mustafi got injured. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. But the ball came in. It was, went through some Bournemouth player, and the guy just walked onto it. Really, didn't he? Um, I don't. Was Rob holding at full? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, I, I, you know, it's not like a calamitous error. It's not something to lose sleep over, but it's just that he was, I think, you know, as a player that's barely played in recent weeks, he wasn't quite switched on to, uh, you, you know, different runners. And, of course, it was a sub who'd just come on for Bournemouth, so no one's been following him before, making a bit of different movement. So there's, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of mitigation there. Um, it was funny that Bournemouth seemed to be able to turn the screw primarily, primarily as a result of switching to a back three and sticking just more big guys on because <laughs> mm. it had been very sort of hands off from them in the first half which had played massively they did go a bit hands. spoke on us didn't they um, yeah I think with Rob Holden again he's someone else that hasn't had obviously he's missed a year and then since he's come back he's had other problems like Bellerin yeah so I mean he's going to get more football now isn't he um, mm. I mean, I'm not yeah. suggesting that we should judge him according to that. No, 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 I know you weren't. Yeah. We're not, we're not judgmental on this podcast. <laughs> well, well <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> I mean, you know, sometimes uh, I, 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 I defer to your judgment on that one, but I don't think I claim it for myself. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think we are. Well, like I said, you. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm... <laughs> You hope it will get better, you know, with the games to come. Arsenal, I'm sure I saw a neat message, I was trying to find it a minute, but that Arsenal had a bit accepted for, what's his name? Uh, not not the Spanish dude. From oh, um, Mykola Matvienko. Him, yes. Yeah, from Shakhtar Donetsk. Yeah. Uh, well, it's clear looking at the players we've been linked with, we've been very clearly looking for a left-footed centre-half because, you know, uh, I suppose Arteta's seen firsthand what Laporte being left-footed can do for Man City in terms of their ability to distribute from the back. And it just gives you more angles. And although David Luiz is very competent on his left foot, um, he's about the only defender that you really trust on their left foot in our back line. And uh, Matt Vienko has started out as a left-back uh, and can play centre back. He's not the biggest, but he's robust. I think would be the good way of putting it. He's very strong and quick, and decent in the air for his size. Um, apparently, there are still talks going on for Pablo Mari. So maybe I, I know that we're trying to get loan with option to buy deals. Uh, and I guess if we can bring both those guys in, that'd be great. Um, but uh, I know that there's there's a fee to pay for taking Matt Vienko on loan, but I think he's he's a player that we've got slightly more long term interest in, so maybe it would be an, an investment worth taking. Um, I think they're saying that it would be like four and a half million to take him on loan, uh, which then would be make up part of a permanent transfer fee in the summer. So it's like an incentive to let them take us on loan with an option to buy. I think. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm guessing, like most of us, you don't know a great deal about the player. No. Uh, I mean, most of us have seen very little from him, except from the Champions League. 
Um, so it's yeah. I mean, I, I've only seen a couple of games and then some YouTube videos, so I can't really claim to be an expert on the subject either. But the fact is that what, there's a football that you're not an expert on. I know, strange, Nisbet. Shut the door. But um, he's someone that I know that Man City had a vague interest in at one point when Arteta was there. Um, and there's there's a reason why a, a number of European clubs have been sniffing around him, and I totally support the idea of getting a left-footed centre half in the squad just to give us more balance, particularly a younger guy as Matvienko would be. He's like 23, I think. Uh, you know, you look at who's at the club. You got obviously Chambers is injured. We don't know how that's going to work out. Holding's quite young. Saliba's going to be young when he arrives. But the rest of our back line are all 30 or older, pretty much. Well, Mustafi's nearly 30. Um, so yeah we need uh, both a young centre half and a left footed centre half and I think athletic wise he's he, he doesn't obviously have the physical dominance that, that Mari from Flamengo would have but I think in terms of his mobility and dynamism he would bring more in that respect so they're, they're two sort of different sorts of players that um, I mean hey at this stage we just need a bloody body don't we indeed uh, like none of the defenders coming through the youth team are anywhere close to ready. You know, there are some that have real promise, but unfortunately a couple of them have had injury problems and the others are like 17, 18. And unless you are, uh, you know, an absolutely fantastic defender, you don't get to play at the top level. A 17, 18 year old, unless you're like someone who's like fucking Maldini or Tony Adams or something like that. It just doesn't happen. Um, there's also rumours that have come out today, which I'm, which I don't quite get, but apparently looking at Cedric Suarez from Southampton, the right back, Portuguese right back that's fallen out of favour a little bit there. Um, apparently he's only got six months left in his contract, so obviously we're trying to see if we can get him on the cheap. Um, I haven't seen him enough of him in recent years. He's a player I was very impressed with previously, but I haven't seen enough of him in the last couple of years to really get a sense of where he's at in his career at the moment. But there we are. Uh, I'm very conscious of the fact that you have to bugger off, Paul, uh, seeing as you're actually, like, at work and stuff. See, listeners, he loves us so much that he's taking his lunch hour off to talk to you all. Um, So I can probably do a little bit of a news roundup on my own if you've got a run. I'll give you a couple of minutes and then, um, yeah. Okay. well, in in those last couple of minutes, uh, firstly, any, any last impressions from the last two fixtures you want to share with us? The future's bright. You know, literally in the, those football shirts, there <laughs> it looks amazing on telly. Um, yeah, I'll just, I, I guess uh, you know, immediate future. There's there's a game on Sunday that's going to be quite a test for us. I think. Yeah, um, we're at Burnley. It's definitely going to be a diff, different sort of test to any of the games we've had since October. Yeah, set piece tastic for sure. Understatement of that, uh, but um. Well, I feel glad all the all the will be back for that one. So, uh, yeah, yeah, interesting to see what sort of team is picked for that. But I think what what we seem to be seeing is that whatever team Arteta is picking, the guys can actually go out there and play good football. And I think just that will stand us in good stead. Obviously, we need a little bit more than good football. We watched enough under Arsene Wenger to know that. Um, but in terms of the way the team is organised now, and in terms of, yeah, that that style of football, yeah, it's, it's nice to come on a podcast and be totally optimistic for once. 
And, you know, of course, you know, for many of us, it feels like the league season's over in a way. But, you know, we're 10 points back from Chelsea, uh, which is... And only four from fifth. So. Only four from fifth, exactly. We're four points behind both United and Spurs. Um, and with Spurs having no Harry Kane for the foreseeable future and United having no Marcus Rashford for the foreseeable future... Um, that definitely increases our chances of, of catching them. Obviously, there's also Wolves, Sheffield United and Southampton uh, between us. Um, but, you know, I, um, I mean, recent performances would suggest it's a false position. And, and clearly, <laughs> those independent analysis of referees would suggest it's an extremely false position. But that's a different matter. Um, Speaking of, let me just throw this in. Um, we surprised that that... I wasn't surprised uh, and I don't just say that because of my cynicism and lack of faith in match officials but also it's just that thing that most of the time if players keep going they don't get the decision but ultimately it sort of impeded his momentum and was was a foul but he was still able to continue with what he was attempting to do even if it was slightly impeded so referees uh, invariably err on the side of caution that particularly in England they would tend to let yeah, it go I think I just found it frustrating in the context of the two minutes looking for the offside that wasn't yeah that would we're not even going to have a look at that but well I mean we've had plenty of that recently where uh, I mean you know the much more nailed-on penalty appeals we've had in recent games have, have got have been apparently written off by our VIR in about two seconds. Uh, <laughs> like that, like that, like that Pepe one against Sheffield United, which was played for, but clearly a penalty. The second time against Sheffield United this season, he's had clearly a penalty, or we've had clearly a penalty, and the second time VAR has taken like five seconds to say, "Oh, it's not a penalty." Do you know it's really interesting? Um... I, again, I looked at that and I thought, oh, I don't know. I, I wasn't convinced. I think the penalty we had at Sheffield United on that, in my mind, was definitely a penalty. Oh, the Sheffield, one, like, yeah, the one, the one in Sheffield was was so nailed on it wasn't even funny. This one, you could you could make an argument because the the attacking player is seeking the contact. Well, here's to not getting decisions on Sunday afternoon. <laughs> yes. Here's to never getting another fucking penalty again. <laughs> Was it three in, three in 60 games we've had in the Premier League? Something ludicrous oh, it, like that? It, it, it is insane. I mean, uh, as, as I said on the podcast last week, you know, you compare those stats to all the other big clean, the clubs in the Premier League or even fucking Crystal Palace who get quite a lot of penalties. It's an absolute joke. And, yeah. and and given how many this season and last season really either good or totally obvious penalty shouts we've not got given, and with VAR being in case, it's just like well, I mean it's 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 hard to retain your your faith. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, we've got Burnley at the weekend, uh, and then we've got uh, so the the boys are off to Qatar I think for a few days of warm weather training, uh, and then we've got another week before we've got Newcastle. No, another fortnight. Sorry, before we've got Newcastle at home. Obviously, there'll be some international games, but certainly some of our players will, will won't be called up for those because either they're relatively back from injury or they've retired from international football or no fixtures. So it's a real chance to um, to recharge the batteries before then we have the build-up of fixtures with the return of the Europa League uh, on the horizon, which obviously has to be our number one priority this season. And it's, yeah. and it's obviously going to be a very difficult competition given the teams that dropped out of the Champions League into it. It's going to be kind of quite scary, actually. <laughs> 
but we know that we are at a level of most of those teams. You know, Inter Milan would be a test, but they're going to be chasing the Serie A title. You know, Ajax will be a test, of course, but we saw against Spurs that they don't deal very well with with a slightly more physical approach. So, you know, there's that none of them are teams that we should be scared of in the same way we might be of a a peak Barcelona or a current Liverpool side. <laughs> Right. Well, on that note, I shall let you go, Paul, because, uh, yeah, otherwise you'll get in trouble at work and I don't want to be responsible for that. So thanks again to you, Paul. Cheerio. No worries. Thank thank you for having me. Pleasure as always. Particularly when it's, you know, we can be optimistic with each other. It's great. Exactly. I know. What a contrast (laughs) to to a few months ago. It'll be right, I suppose. Maybe. One day. Maybe one day. (laughs) Yeah. All right, mate. I'll see you soon. Okay, cool. Cheers. Right, and now, listeners, you've just got me for a little bit of a news roundup. Um, yes, as we've discussed before, there have been the reports of a bid accepted for uh, Nikola Matvienko from Shakhtar Donetsk. Um, lots of different uh, news outlets wanting to be the first one to release the news, but nothing a- official as yet. Uh, however, some of those outlets are, you know, are relatively reliable. Um, apparently, there are still discussions ongoing with Pablo Marie. Uh, Flamengo want a fee up front. Arsenal want to take him on loan with an option to buy. Flamengo feel they were misled, or at least publicly feel they were misled. Of course they do. Um, we will never know what the actual truth is because it's all part of the same brinkmanship. Um, certainly, uh, Arsenal's need for a defender is great. Apparently, Marie has missed a training session because he wants the move to happen. So we'll see what that means for Arsenal. Uh, for those that don't know anything about Pablo Murray, he's a, a Spanish defender. He's, even despite playing Brazil, he's 26, I think, about six foot three. Not the quickest, strong in the tackle, decent distributor, bit of an old school defender, uh, very dangerous from set pieces. Um, was actually a Man City player for a number of years, but uh, they signed him when he was sort of 22, I think, but then spent three seasons on loan, uh, most recently at uh, Deportivo La Coruña, in a season which was very hard for Deportivo. So he didn't have the easiest time, but the, the whole team then was a clusterfuck, if you excuse the expression. And he went to Flamengo and promptly won the Brazilian League and then promptly won the Copa Libertadores, which um, is effectively the Champions League in South America, and then hence played in the World Club Championship against Liverpool recently, where he played excellently against Firmino and Salah, despite, as I say, not being the quickest. Um, Arteta may have some knowledge of him from uh, his time as a Man City player, even though he never actually played at Man City, if you know what I mean. Uh, Anyway, so we'll wait and see what happens with that. Obviously, we've got uh, three days left of the transfer window. Um, So both could happen, or we could end up with neither. Uh, We'll see if there's anything going to happen with this Cedric Suarez rumour, or indeed any other surprises. Uh, Obviously, still rumours that Barcelona are going to make some massive bid for Aubameyang, but personally, I can't see it. Uh, One, because why on earth would we sell now? Uh, If we're going to sell Ober, it's going to be in the summer when he doesn't renew his contract. And two, uh, Barcelona basically don't have any money, having spunked a shit ton on de Jong and Griezmann uh, in the summer without having let people go. Um, Their transfer dealings in recent years have been as inefficient and more wasteful than ours. Uh, and a team that is propped up largely by the same excellent players it's had in in its core for a very long time who are all getting older. However, they're still doing well in the Spanish league and they're still obviously going to be a good side in Europe because Messi. 
Um, elsewhere, it's been a busy time for Arsenal loanees. Uh, Tyrese John Jules has gone on loan to Lincoln City, has played three games for them, um, scored uh, in his home debut in their, in uh, two games ago, uh, which again proved to be the winner, and was denied a, a clear goal scoring opportunity by a clear handball when he flicked it over the defender in the most recent game against high-flying Ipswich in that division, only for the referees to completely miss it. And obviously there's no VAR uh, at that level. Um, so he's making a positive impact and has gone straight into being first choice. Emil Smith-Rowe uh, has had a game for Huddersfield, having gone alone there. Um, obviously the FA Cup meant that some of their fixtures were interrupted a little bit, but he uh, created chances against high-flying Brentford. And certainly it's a good chance for him to build up some strength and match fitness and get a bit more of that first-team experience. And most recently, uh, James Oleyinka uh, has gone on loan to Northampton Town, um, which is a move that really flew under the radar. Um, but uh, he's someone that people might remember having a, a bit of an impact in pre-season. Lovely goal he scored in pre-season. And he'd had a few injury problems at the start of the season, was struggling a bit for form as well, but really found his form sort of just before and after Christmas. Uh, three goals in his last four under-23s games as an 18-year-old, basically, yeah, being first-choice midfielder at that level and, and looking very comfortable. So this is a great chance for him to get some first-team football at a senior level, even if it is down the leagues. And he's an intriguing player. Um, I mean, he's got a lot of physical potential, really hard-working box-to-box player. Not the most polished, but shows moments of real polish, which give you hope that maybe he can continue adapting to a higher level. Um, certainly, he's a player that looked like he didn't have a chance about a couple of years ago, really. Looked too raw, but his game has definitely come on, and we'll see how he fares at Northampton. Elsewhere, looking at uh, players who are either on loan or effectively on loan, uh, William Saliba's back from injury, uh, made the bench uh, for Cincinnati in their last game, I think, and is set to start against Monaco in their forthcoming fixture, so that's good news for Arsenal, having had all his medical tests in London a couple of weeks ago to prove that he's fully fit and raring to go. Um, on the other side of the scale, uh, unfortunately, not such good news for Hendrik Mikatarian, who just can't stay fit for Roma despite being very effective for them when he is fit um, which significantly decreases the chances of <laughs> Roma then taking up their option to buy well they haven't got an option to buy but pursuing a, 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 set, a purchase of him so we may yet get to see how Mikatarin does under Mikel Arteta next year um, Elsewhere also looking at ki- the kids uh, apparently Arsenal have rejected a £5 million offer from Brentford for uh, Flo Balogun, uh, our prolific 18-year-old, who again keeps scoring for the 23s again, as he has uh, scored 32 goals at the under-18 level mostly last season, but he's still scoring plenty of goals at the other 23s. Um, uh, so, yeah, he's had a few injury problems, but he's still got eight goals and five assists in 15 games, dis- despite those injury problems. Uh, but yeah, Brentford offered five million plus add-ons, which is a big investment for a club of Brentford size. But given Balogun's profile, pacey, direct, excellent movement, good finisher, scored some lovely goals at the under twenty-three level this season. You can see why Brentford be interested as it fit in their business model. And apparently AC Milan are also interested. 
However, um, he's signed his first professional contract, which means he's contracted to us for another 18 months. Um, and with Tyrese John Jules on loan, he's basically the main man in the 23 level. Um, so although he's a long way off the first team with probably uh, Lacazette, Aubameyang, Martinelli and Ketia and John Jules ahead of him in the pecking order, contractual situations mean that we might not have Lacazette and Aubameyang at the club all that much younger, longer. And if the likes of Nketia and Martinelli can kick on and be- to the point where one of them becomes a genuine first-choice option or first-choice or first-rotation option, then that means everyone else, obviously lower down, will jump up uh, the rankings, as it were. Elsewhere, Arsenal ladies won this weekend, bouncing back to form after their painful defeat to Chelsea in the league so they're still really in the title mix it's all really tight at the top Chelsea, Man City and Arsenal miles ahead of everyone else with only I think a point between them as things last stand um, elsewhere Danny Ceballos has been told he's not going back to Spain Arsenal won't allow it and Real Madrid don't want to send him on loan to Valencia because if they send him on loan to Valencia then Barcelona will buy Rodrigo and then that will help them in their and uh, post Luis Suarez because Luis Suarez is injured for the rest of the season uh, title challenge so it looks like uh, he's going to be with us the rest of the season which is good uh, he's good got off the bench yesterday uh, for Arteta and has a bit of control in midfield and he may still be of use to us as the season goes forward and who knows we may wish to pursue an option to purchase him if things pick up a bit elsewhere random little bits of news here and there uh, Marcello Flores who plays for the under 15s under 16s for Arsenal uh, his sister plays uh, academy level and occasionally for the women's first team he's just been called up to the Mexican under 18 squad for a trip against Spain um, which they'll probably they might be uh, playing also against Japan and Slovakia so good for him uh, he's a winger with excellent dribbling ability he's not the biggest player but he's very quick and agile and under 16 level he's really excelled and indeed at every level prior to that so uh, he's one to look out for in the future Elsewhere, it looks like uh, Levin Kazao is going to Juventus, not Arsenal, in a weird swap deal, but for him and Matteo De Chilio, uh, going to the other way to PSG. Uh, I'm not sure it's a deal that adds masses to either team, but I can see why Kazao would, would prefer to go to Juventus, particularly as Alexandro is the only left-back they have, really. Um, and I'm not sure that it's a priority for Arsenal anymore with um, Saka showing that he's able to fill in for uh, Kolasinac and Tierney. Um, trying to think if there's anything else uh, again in youth news Stan Flaherty the, uh, a young midfielder who struggled to make a real impression at the under 18 and, and under 23 level has transferred to Newcastle uh, he'd also previously played for West Ham United's under 18s on trial a decent ball play midfielder but doesn't seem to have any qualities that particularly stood out at that level so uh, he's gone to Newcastle on a scholarship and we wish him good luck there um, yeah other than that not much else to say that's a pretty full news roundup for Arsenal this week uh, so with that we'll leave it there um, got some new guests lined up for some podcasts shortly so listen out for them uh, more guest appearances from around the globe um, but we'll keep you posted on that front and of course we'll be back to speak to you again after the game against Burnley next week so until then 
Have a great week, everyone. If you've got anything you want to get in touch with, any questions you want us to answer, anything you want us to do any research about, get in touch at at Daily Canon on Twitter. That's at Daily Canon on Twitter. Or you can get me at at L-O-M-E-K-I-A-N. There's a story behind that, but I won't get to it on here. And uh, I'd love to hear from you, as would the rest of the team. Other than that, have a great week, everyone, and speak to you after another away win at Burnley. Take care, one and all.